Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, well, welcome to Term 2. And uh, welcome to our guests and visitors, family of family, friends of friends, Adelaide, wherever you're from, it's great to have you uh, this morning or if you're popping in or whether this is just your Victor Harvard Church because you're here, uh, here once a month. Uh, I've got the great privilege of uh, sharing from the scriptures with you today. It'll be more of a teaching Sunday today, the last couple of weeks, last couple of weekends we've had uh, Easter and uh, Anzac Day and the next couple of weeks coming we've got Mother's Day. Next week, don't forget, we're uh, annually, uh, we're going to be doing this again this year, we're going to well, we'll have a photo booth here for mums and families, so wear your best, dress your best, okay, dress to impress and get a, a, a family photo. We've also got some baby dedications. Mal, what are we up to? Is Mal here? I think last time I heard we're up to like two or three baby dedications as well next week, so that's happening, so don't miss that for Mother's Day. And then the following Sunday, the 15th, we've got something else quite unique happening, and uh, so that'll be kind of another sort of a special out-of-the-ordinary Sunday. Uh, so I thought I'd come today with, uh, with more of a teaching. But before I do that, I just want to get into some housekeeping. No, 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 family business, family business. Um, last week, Caleb uh, announced that we had reached our goal of uh, raising about 20 grand for our outdoor living space. We'd pitched that right at the start of the year in February on what's typically known as a vision day. And so we'll get seven weeks to see whether that can come in. Well, the good news is that with that 20-ish grand uh, has also come some very substantial and significant in-kind support, so not cash in the bank, but in-kind support by a couple of the families in our church who are involved in the building industry. So offering their labour and offering materials uh, that is going to see us, our buck, reach a lot further uh, in value thanks to that uh, generosity. So in regards to their anonymity, you know who you are, thank you. And uh, you expecting uh, to be seeing some more stuff happen in that as we get ready for our big birthday bash, our 20-year celebration coming up in mid-September. Uh, details for that are on the calendar, the dates there, so make sure you block that out. But that's really encouraging for a couple of reasons. Number one, practically, it's just going to be a great space that we can use, birthday celebration and, and then rather broader for the community. Busy Bugs again starting up here, the largest kinder gym slash playgroup in the region historically uh, here in our venue will be used for that venue, so uh, for that as well, great way to serve the community practically very excited about it, prophetically excited about it because we also kind of uh, took a lead from the story of Joshua when God's people reached an end of a journey and were starting a new season that was ahead of them and they built a monument or something to say, look, remember that, you know what, that we went through years ago, aren't we glad that's over and we were to move on from there. Well, at the end of our COVID years and as we start uh, our new journey into our 20th year, uh, we uh, are glad to build something that we can look back on and go, aren't you glad we came through that and uh, we're into a new season now. So prophetically, that also has a purpose. But pastorally, for us as an eldership team, it was also quite encouraging because we didn't exactly have 20 grand come in. Well, let me put it this way. Leanne, our very astute treasurer, sent me a text message on that morning. She said, you know, Chad, the precise amount, if you really want to know, is $22,777.70. Actually, exactly. Okay, 
777. Now, the reason for that is because about three or four years ago, uh, we received some funds to update this platform ready for camera. Who would have known COVID was coming? <laughs> Good move, God. Okay, so we updated that again for camera. And we also put carpet on this floor that reaches the walls, which may sound... Yeah, okay. So for those who don't know, we had this uh, room about 80% carpeted for eight years, okay? So it didn't quite uh, cover the whole thing. So anyway, we did that, but we had some money left over from that because of the frugal, uh, faithful, uh, <laughs> faithful stewardship of those funds. And when you take those funds that were left over, it was a couple of grand, uh, and add it to the money that just came in, we ended up with 22777 delegated. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story, okay? But back in 2009, when we embarked on this facility adventure, and we showed a highlight video last week of that, um, we, the number 777 was a very prophetically significant number, which was God's way of reassuring us that I've got your provision lined up. It was a miraculous, and if I told the story, we'd be here an extra 10 minutes, and I know already uh, some of you can't handle that. So we won't do that, but seven, seven, when I saw that number, I'm like, there's a sign of God's provision, the 22, of course, being a number of, well, this year, isn't it? 22, triple seven. The reason why pastorally that was very encouraging for me to see that is because so far in this financial year, while we're very happy, while we are uh, very glad for that goal to have been reached. This financial year for us as a church, like many churches around the place, has actually been quite challenging. Uh, to date, uh, if you look at the averages of our uh, regular income as a church over this financial year, we're averaging 13 to 14% down on last year. And so needless to say, if you were to take that into your business or your family, you'd appreciate, okay, that's a challenge, okay, especially when... Uh, costs are going up and that type of thing. That's a challenge. Now, we're not a cruise ship business that's lost 100% of their income. We're not in the tourism industry. We're not in restaurant industry. We're not in various industries that have had a much worse hit than that over the last two years. And I know enough pastor friends around to know that it's actually been fairly common in church circles in this financial year particularly for some of my friends' churches to be 20% or more down in, that in, in their income. So that is quite a challenging thing. And now we're not as a finance team, as I said, we're quite frugal or faithful, as I would say. So uh, over the years, we've actually managed in the good years, applying the Joseph principle to have a savings there. That means that we are now seven, what, eight, nine months into our financial year and we're not in the red. Okay, We have not borrowed money. We are not in debt. Uh, but nevertheless, as we as an eldership have been praying through that, we've also acknowledged, okay, 13% down on average has made it a challenging year. So when we receive an offering and my treasurer uh, sends me a message to say, do you know what? We just happen to have 22777. It's kind of like I got a little Jehovah sneaky wink from heaven to say, I've got you for this financial year and so pastorally I share that to say number one we're a family and so we talk about family business but number two we are also quite pastorally encouraged by that as God's little way of saying Bayside I've got you I've got your provision this year and so that was also uh, very encouraging so thank you we're going to be seeing this project uh, underway over the next uh, weeks and months as I said definitely at least uh, ready for our 20th birthday celebration Second bit of housekeeping I wanted to... Okay, yeah, you can applaud that. I think that's good news. That's good news. The, the second thing I wanted to 
says a very big thank you to our incredible ministry teams. Twice a year, we have an all-in volunteers meeting here before the service. And this morning, again, just in our 20th year, every, everything this year is sort of about remembering where this church has come from. And here I am standing in the foyer earlier with our ministry teams thinking, you know what, this volunteer team is two to three times as big as our church when we started. So it is like, there you go. Uh, what a great uh, adventure we've been on. But I certainly want to thank those of you who minister regularly in our service teams. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and especially to our team leaders, Guy and Ronnie, who are watching from home uh, today, Carol and Craig in the kitchen, and the great job they do in the cafe, Don and Deb on the door, and uh, Jeff and Kay with communion in the car park, Matt and Ellie in the worship team. Thank you so much, and particularly, as I said to them earlier, in these last two years, as we've negotiated a lot of ups, downs, backs, forth, lefts, right, curveballs coming from every direction, it is nice to be able to look now in, in our 20th year and see a strong, established volunteer and ministry team. And let me just say, the quality of the ministry that we enjoy and feed on in this church also I think is quite remarkable. I was chatting with, um, we were on our break just now in New South Wales, we had lunch with some pastors and uh, one of the pastors said to me, so who's looking after your church when you're away? Kind of a common pastor question. But I was actually taken aback because I thought, well no one is looking after our church. We don't have one minister we have, we're a whole team of ministers, our church. We, we don't have one leader in our church. We, we operate with a team of leaders that carry weight and responsibility. And We don't have one preacher. We don't have one personality. We don't have one... Per we truly, in 20 years, have developed a team culture in our church. And so while I knew the sentiment of what he was saying, I was also like, well, the church kind of looks after themselves when we're away. They're, they're big kids. So uh, they, do <laughs> they do very well. But it did also remind me, you know, a, a, a team that we sometimes maybe don't mention all that often because it's a little bit fluid. But I had uh, dinner with Marty and Carrie Ann Stockdale this week on uh, Saturday night and just remarking about how strong our pulpit and preaching team is in the life of this church. When I look back over the last two years, uh, just in these last two COVID years, for example, and look at the contributions, in-house contributions of the like of Rob, Jeff and Mal, Maureen, Rachel, Leanne, Brooke, Jono, Jesse, Caleb, Guy and even Santa Claus two weeks ago, the <laughs> I thought... You know what, in that area as well, I just want to thank, say thank you to those who take to the pulpit and take to the microphone and who bring us the word every week. Can we thank our pulpit team as well? I really want to appreciate you guys. But my job, I'm not a preacher today. I'm coming, the bit of my lead pastor hat on and also Bible teacher, I want to try to bring together a couple of threads from this year so far. Right at the start of the year, we had Nick Reske, one of our outside voices, come to our church and bring us a very powerful word on moving forward. Moving forward. He used the illustration of Joshua, uh, that we need to be a people to move forward, who have new eyes and new heart and a new step as uh, we move forward with God. Um, I, we then launched into last term a preaching series on the book of Ephesians, uh, which we themed Better Together. So I'm going to join those two things, moving forward, better together, and talk to you simply today on the subject of moving forward together. Moving forward together. Um, Moses, or God said in Deuteronomy, it's the verse I opened with on our vision day, he said in Deuteronomy, 
that uh, the Lord said to us at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, you've stayed long enough at this mountain, break camp and advance. Break camp and advance. God, from time to time, calls his people to move forward and the point is that they are supposed to do that together, moving forward together. So that's where we're going today. Are you ready? Let me guess, about five of you have a Bible on you? Do I see those five? One, two, three. Yeah, all right, cool. The rest of you will have that on the screen. I did actually sort of say on Facebook today, it's a good day to bring your Bible, but never mind. Before we read, let's get our bearings. Because the most important thing about Bible teaching is there's three rules of Bible interpretation. What are they? Context, context, context. There you go. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's something of the Old Testament context. When you open your Old Testament, because we've, we've been in Ephesians lately, so let's have a look at the Old Testament. These are the books of the Bible that describe the Old Testament history. What a great drawing, Louis. That's, uh, you should be inspired by that. And essentially, there's three major phases of Old Testament history. There's the era of Moses and these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, basically describe the tale of Moses. We then have this period from Joshua through to Chronicles, which is before God's people go away to Babylon in exile. Okay, So it's a long period of time where basically the judges are ruling at the start and then the kings are ruling in here. And then there's this big break here for about six, 70 years or so when God's people are away in Babylon. And then we have the story after they come back with Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther right at the end of the Bible. So there's basically the historic, historical books put together and, and the prophets sort of come in and out of those periods of time. That's why the Bible gets confusing. But anyway, that's the story. We're mainly interested today. Well, let's have a look at these first seven books here. The story of Moses then goes into the story of Joshua and Judges. Genesis, of course, means origins. It's about the origins of God's people, essentially. It's about them telling their stories to how they got to where they were. How the heck did we get into Egypt to be slaves? Well, that's where Genesis comes from. It talks about the story of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons. Joseph led them into Egypt and that's how they ended up there. Great, that book finishes. There you go. Exodus is the story of how they now in Egypt and they come out. They exit, Exodus, Egypt. Moses is, of course, in charge of a lot of that. And the majority of Exodus is talking about how they came out and about how God gave them instructions to build a big tent. Okay, they went into a nine-month building project uh, that um, they were at Mount Sinai for about a year, and then God called them to move on. Leviticus is all about uh, how that tent was to operate. So that's everyone's favourite book. How many of your favourite book is Leviticus? Okay, maybe not. Uh, Numbers then generally tells a story of how they moved on from Mount Sinai. That's where we're going to be today. And Deuteronomy is years later when they look back and Moses retells the story to everyone who used to be kids. It's now 38 years later and he's retelling the story before Joshua takes them into the promised land. Okay. What I'm mainly concerned about today is around the Numbers era where Moses has brought God's people out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai and they're moving on to the border of the promised land. Exactly what happened in that 40 years is a little bit hard to piece together. Okay, exactly, because it is spread over a couple of books. And let's admit it, it's an ancient book. They didn't record everything as specifically as what you and I may. But we do know what happened in the first couple of years really clearly. In the first year, basically, that was all spent moving to Mount Sinai. From Egypt to Sinai, took about seven weeks, and then they camped there for the rest of the year to 
get their stuff together, okay, and to build a tent. The second year was spent um, having moved that tent to move to uh, build that tent to move to a place called Kadesh Barnea, where they would send the spies in to check out the promised land. Okay, so the second year, can we go to the next slide. The second year is from Sinai to Kadesh. First year, Egypt to Sinai, then Sinai to Kadesh. And then there's a period of 38 years where they were in the desert, wandering around because something went wrong at Kadesh. And in year 40, they cross over to the Jordan. So basically, here's what they do. And the red line here, they go from Egypt. We think this might be the crossing. Uh, modern uh, thinkers think that. Through to around about Mount Sinai. In the second year, they come here where the spies are sent over to spy out the land. It doesn't work well. And so somewhere, they spend the next 38 years years here before they eventually cross over into Jericho. I'm interested there in that second year and uh, I nerded out a little bit this week in my own study trying to piece together what happened. I want to share a little bit of that with you because it really reveals among other things God's heart for his people to move forward together. To move forward together. It's that second year that I want to focus on today moving from Mount Sinai through to Kadesh Barnea okay if you just tuned out through all that welcome back you'll be fine we're gonna open the Bible. oh some of you liked it some of you I love maps it's my favorite part of the Bible is the maps <laughs> I'm gonna start in the book of Exodus right at the end of Exodus we're gonna look at the journey of God's people look at a story and discover something of God's heart as he communicates with them. The last closing verses of Exodus chapter 40. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. The first day of the first month of their second year, because they spent a year to get to Sinai. On the first day of the first month, I want you to set up my house. This was how they started their new year. Happy new year. We're setting up the house of God. And I'm not going to read it all. I thought I might, but I think we'll press for time. But as we read on, it talks about how they meticulously set up God's house exactly as God had instructed. In verse 16, if we can just duck down to that, it said, Moses did everything as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. What did that second year look like for God's people? Second year after they came out of Egypt. It looked like establishing God's tabernacle on that very first day. As I thought of that, you know what came to me? When we are looking at embarking in a new season, we personally in your business, private life or whatever, it's really good to make sure that you finish the previous season well. You see, building the tabernacle that day was not a new thing. It was a culmination of all the last nine months, of all the offerings that they'd made, the things that they'd brought, the construction that they were doing. They started the year by making sure they finished the last thing that God told them really well. They tidied that up and they began a whole new year by finishing the last year well. I want to be the type of person that makes sure that I finish well in the things that God has called me to do and in my life. How many of you just think that that would actually make a great, a great gravestone? I don't want to get morbid, but just Chad finished well, you know? 
His start was shocking, but he finished well. So that's how they started their new year. What happened next? Well, this is where we need to flick through the book of Numbers. Bible's not written chronologically, strictly. Sometimes you have to back and forth, and this is where I've done all the hard work for you this week. Numbers chapter 7, and he says this, When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it in all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. And what happens, if you continue to read that chapter, is over the next 12 days, tribe by tribe by tribe, one tribe after the other after the other, they come to this tabernacle and they make offerings. For 12 days, tribe by tribe, everyone represented in worshipping God in that sanctuary, every family taking responsibility because they knew we're all in this together. We've finished the season, we're in a moving forward moment and every tribe said, we are in this. It's God's heart again for his people to move forward together. They didn't just leave it to the priests. Oh, the tent's built now. We've got, pre- we got the Levites, we'll pay them to do it. You guys go. They didn't just leave it to the men of Judah. Well, you guys are the, where the royal family is going to come from. You take an offering. They didn't just leave it to Reuben. Oh, Reuben, well, Reuben's the eldest. You know, the oldest, they always take responsibility. You guys take an No, every tribe, tribe after tribe, tribe after tribe. <laughs> Mowage. <laughs> tribe after tribe took their, took their offering and so 12 days had passed. Well, what happened after that? 12 days. Remember, we're starting a new year. First day they set the tabernacle up. 12 days, tribe after tribe brings their offerings. What happened next? Well, we find that in chapter 9. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year that they came out of Egypt. He said, have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month. You've just had 12 days of offerings, so this is coming up. You need to prepare for it tomorrow. Okay, This is like coming up in the next two days, on the 14th day, in accordance with its rules. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did so in the desert of Sinai at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commandment commanded yes their year began with worship but passover is all about a reflection that the only reason we can worship the only reason we can approach god is because he first made a move on us do you remember passover do you remember a year ago to this day when god rescued us from egypt when we were a bunch of whinging whining idol worshipping desert dwellers and slaves and God reached down to us thanks to his covenant faithfulness to our ancestors not because anything we'd done good not because of any morality or any righteousness of our own God rescued us and redeemed us out of Egypt do you remember the Passover do you remember how awesome that is here they are the second time they're doing Passover doing it first time they did it for reals now they're doing it for remembering Remembering, we're starting our year, we're starting our journey, understanding it is all of grace. 
It is all of grace. We are God's chosen people. He chose us when we didn't deserve it. How much more will he be ahead of us? How much more, Romans 8 says, if he who did not give his own son, but gladly gave him up for us all, the Passover lamb, how will he not also graciously give us all things as we move forward into our destiny? Remember, remember, remember what he has done because remembering what he has done will give us faith and confidence as we move forward as he leads. And so the 14th day, they had Passover. And if I was God, <laughs> don't continue. Um, if I was God, that would have been a perfect time to say the next morning, all right, guys, you've had Passover, now go to the promised land. Because in Egypt, that's exactly what we did. We had Passover, and the very next morning, we left for Egypt. Remember, we had our sandals on and our staff in our hand. We ate the meal. We waited. The whole thing happened, and then that's it. The next day, we're gone. What a perfect anniversary to do exactly the same thing. And to say, all right, Lord, it's the first anniversary. We're having a Passover. The next day, we're going to pack up this tent and go. But it doesn't happen. God waits a whole month before he moves them on. And because I'm inquisitive, I say, well, why did you do that, Lord? Why? Because, you know, if I was God, I would have done it then. It would make sense. Well, let's keep reading. What happens next? Verse 6 says, But some of them there could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremony unclean on account of a dead body. Good morning, visitors. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said, Moses, we've been unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the right time? time Moses answered them I'm not sure I'll go ask God wait until I find out what the Lord says concerning you so the Lord said to Moses tell the Israelites when any of your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or away on a journey they're still to celebrate the Passover but they are to do it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight they had to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread bitter herbs etc etc you guys can hang about and do it in a month's time. Why did God not move his people on for another month after Passover? Because some of the people were in ISO. <laughs> some of the people were in ISO. And God's heart as a shepherd was that none would be left behind. You see, this might have been one community. God might have had one family, one nation that eventually became one community. But a common unity doesn't mean that everyone's the same. There's different personalities. There's different perspectives. It's people with different stories, people, people that, take, that travel at a different pace. And God, the good shepherd, knew that. He said, just, let's just hang up, in my opinion, because I think God wanted them to go that first day. No. So let's just wait. Let's make sure everyone's ready, because there's a shepherd heart that is coming out of God here. And I think I then later you see that represented in Moses. God wanted his community to move together because when they eventually do move, we'll get to that in a moment, when the trumpets are blown and they begin their journey, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and says, well, my job's done. See you later, guys. I'm going to go back to my homeland. And Moses said, oh, Dad, please don't. Actually begs him, begs Jethro and say, please, it's good for you to be with us and it's good for us to have you. Please, would you come with us, both God 
and Moses, the shepherd's heart, is a heart that wants, as God's people move forward, a heart that all come together. And I just think that's a beautiful thing to see manifest in God's heart in this situation. He didn't say, stuff here, you're in ISO. Shouldn't have touched a dead body. He said, great, we're going to move together and I care about that in my community. Amen. This is God's heart coming out. Then what happens? Well, they've got a month to sit around and wait before they eventually move because people have to have Passover, so they don't waste that time, of course. What they do is they conduct a census. So this is where you go, as logic would have it, from chapter 9 to chapter 1. Good job, Lord. Chapter 9 to chapter 1, where we read this. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month. Remember, everything we've been talking about so far is in the first month. Passover! Building the tent, giving your offerings, Passover. It's all in the first month. Ah, well, in the second month on the first day, while they're waiting for the others to have Passover, he says this. Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count each of them according to their divisions, the men in Israel who are 20 years old or more and able to serve in the army and get one man from each tribe to help you with this. Again, we see this incredible heart of God. We've just spent a year building a tabernacle where God can meet with his people. Well, who are his people? Because each of them have a name. Each of them have a story. And each of them matter. Let's make sure we know who our people are before we move. Because our the heart of God, the heart of Moses, is that we move forward together. Again, this sense of God wanting his people, knowing who his people are, and wanting a sense of unity among his people. It's just something that I can't help see <laughs> as I read this story of this second year moving in moment. Well, the census is conducted, the Passover is celebrated, by the people who were waiting behind. And then what happened? Well, you go from chapter 1, of course, through to chapter 10, don't you, to find that out. And then finally, the moment we've all been waiting for, chapter 10 says this, on the 20th day of the second month, what happened on the 14th day of the second month? The ISO people had Passover. A week after their Passover celebrations, on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle and they set out from the desert of Sinai and travelled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. And another name for the desert of Paran, or the place where they stayed in the desert of Paran, was Kadesh. This is where I said before, this is where we're going. From Sinai through to Kadesh. And that journey, while it's summed up here in one sentence, that journey took about 10 or 11 months. You read about it in later chapters. It talks about all the towns they went to. It took 10 or 11 months, whereas the book of Deuteronomy tells us it should only have taken 11 days. Now, why would God send them on a journey for 10 months when if he took them by a direct route, it would have only taken them 11 days? You see, this trip wasn't longer because of their attitudes. This trip was longer because they were following the cloud. You see, the previous chapter says this, chapter 9 verse 17. It says, Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, 
The Israelites set out. Whenever it settled, they encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. At the Lord's command, as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, well, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and didn't set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. Can you imagine that? Get to a place, unpack everything, build the tent, unpack all your bags, have a sleep, wake up. Oh, the cloud's moving again. We've got to pack it all up. Come on. But they did. They just did it, even if it was overnight. When it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night. Honey, wake up. Come on. Clouds moving. Trumpets are blowing. Moses wants us to go. It's 3 a.m. Yes. Even at night, they would set out. Whether the clouds stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. At the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. You know, God knows what it's like to repeat things to his kids. so repetitive, you know. <laughs> Do you get the point? They took 11 months to do that journey, but it wasn't because any of the issue. They were just following the cloud. And I wonder sometimes if God knows better than we do. And if we think, why can't I go direct from A to B and do a seven-day journey? And yet he takes us on an 11-month journey because it's far more important what we learn in the process than the destination. And maybe the idea of staying two days, up, camping, go. Staying one night, up, camp, go. Staying three months, oh, that was nice, up, camp, go was God saying, listen, I just want to train you to hear my voice. I want to train you to be in tune to my voice. I want to prepare something in you. you have, you're, you're a slave people, okay? You've had this for years where you've followed the order of a slave master. Where in a sense, I'm going to utilize that. I want you to know, are you my people that will follow me? Are you my people that will follow me? Are you my people that will follow me? Because in years to come, he wouldn't actually speak to them like that. He, he spoke to them in the way that they understood. Training, yes, sir, I do a yes, sir. In years to come, he would say, okay, now you're in charge. You do what you know to be right. So he treated them like adults later on. Uh, it's a little bit like he is treating like kids. I'm telling you what to do. But part of that is in the process of going, I'm attuned to your voice. I'm ready to go. I'll jump when you say jump. I'll move when you say move. Lord, we're going to follow your voice. We're going to follow your voice. We're going to follow your voice. And I think that's part of the reason that it took them so long to get up to Kadesh Barnea. They were moving and recognizing the leading of God, a shifting in the spirit, a clear call from Moses, a trumpet sound that said, all right, it's time to move. Let's do it together. And so that basically is that second year period that took them from Sinai through to Kadesh Barnea. It's there that Moses sends the spies into the promised land. And maybe that is a story for another day. What's the point, Chad? God is a good shepherd who loves his sheep and his heart for his sheep is that they move together. And Jesus would exemplify this in a great passage that we all know and love in John chapter 10 one day when he would say of himself, the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. He says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me just as the father knows me 
and I lay down my life for his sheep. I have other sheep that I must bring also into this pen, and they too will listen to my voice, because there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. What a great vision. What a great vision for the Christian community. One flock, one shepherd, following the one voice. Seven very quick things. I didn't know whether I should save this for another week. You know what type of community moves forward together? Some of the values of a community like that? Firstly, as we see in that story, it is a community that values God's grace. A community that values grace, a community that begins with Passover, where we start knowing everything that we have is because God called us when we didn't deserve it and has been generous to us. All is of grace. A community of gra- that values grace is a community that moves forward together. Secondly, it's a community that values generations. Not wanting anyone to fall behind. Young, old, ISO or not. A, a, a family that says, you know what? Diversity is good and we can be unified as a diverse community. We are a family that values generations, values difference amongst us. A church that moves forward together is a church that values God's glory. Meeting with him in the tent, on the mountain, where his presence goes, we go, because ultimately, it's not about, uh, we, uh, the only reason we have a community is because we have God with us in this community. The glory of God, the presence of God, Lord, where your presence goes, we go. That is the kind of community that will move forward together. A forward-moving community values government. It values leadership. It recognises that, yeah, there might be a shift in the atmosphere, but we'll wait until Moses gives the go-ahead. Yeah, there there might be a cloud that's moving, but we won't go until the trumpet blows because we understand that God partners with humans and uh, we understand the value of human leadership in this partnership. We believe in governance in our house. We value the voice of our human leaders. A forward-moving community values giving and generosity, understanding that every person has a part to play clan by clan tribe by tribe we're in this together we'll be generous in the journey a forward moving community values gathering whether it's gathering around meals like the passover gathering in a tent to worship gathering together under a mountain or gathering together under trees we believe in the gathering together of god's people uh, because we know that keeps us together a forward moving community who moves together moves forward together is a church a community that values gathering. And lastly, a forward-moving community values growth. Because this community, you knew that because you were just reading the wall, you see. That's, that's how you knew that was coming. Because growth is another way of saying that change is here to stay. Growth is where things change. Sometimes get pruned, as Jesus would say, and sometimes enlarge. All of us with a garden at certain times of year or like Andrew, if you cut gardens down for a living, it's because of growth. They're constantly changing. And uh, one of the things of, of, a, of a family, of a community that values growth, is we, as a, as a community that values 
that, uh, you know, God does new things. God does new things. And we want to be part of that growth. As this uh, community was enlarging, as they were changing, uh, they appreciated we're in this together. Our God is a God of growth because wherever there is life, there is growth. And wherever there is life, there is change. And that's sort of a cheats pastor's way of saying, I think we have what it takes to be a moving forward community and a moving forward community together. And I see that in the journey of this people. You know that Passover meal Jay mentioned before? She took her shoes off, as Moses did when he met God at the mountain because it was a holy place. But there, in the Passover story, he was told exactly the opposite. He said, when you have this Passover meal, I want you to do it with your shoes tied up. Hang on, we're, we're Hebrews. Don't you know our custom, God, is to take our shoes off when we eat? In the house? No. When you have this meal, I want you to have your sandals on and your staff in your hand. I want you to have no leaven in your house. And I want you to do this as a memory. Do you remember that when you had that meal, it was because I was calling you onto a journey? I was calling you to move forward and I want your feet to be ready. And this is where I want to bring in our Ephesians series. From Ephesians chapter 1, the incredible calling of God's grace that is on undeserving people to the very end where Leanne shared about the armour of God that we're all dressed in as we march forward together. One of the pieces of that armour, and, and w- was right, Paul took it from inspired by what he saw in the Roman soldiers, but one of the pieces of armour was the shoes of readiness. The shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. You see, when we understand the gospel of peace, when we understand the power of Passover, that the eternal God of the heavens had made peace with us, that me and God are okay. I am righteous in Him. I am declared holy in Him. I have a right standing relationship with Him because of the blood of the Lamb that covers me, the blood of the Lamb that has taken away my sin. That is the gospel of peace. And when I know that, my feet are ready to hear His voice and say, I'm in. I'm in. We're ready to go because I leave from a foundation, not of insecurity. I leave from a foundation of peace. And so today, I'd like you to put your shoes on. And I want to encourage you today to join with us as together we come around one table. One table. And a statement to God, the peace that he's brought us, to say, Lord, I want to be a part of a moving forward community I want to be a person that values the moving of your presence. And I do that on the foundation of what you have done for me. If any of that means something to you today and you'd like to share communion with us, why don't you come and we'll close with communion today. Can we do that? There's actually quite a lot of us here. How about, yeah, just we'll we'll make this work. But I just did want to have one table together that we move forward from. Thanks, guys. Just come, go for it. Just go straight to the middle and grab your bread as you go. Thanks to those joining us on the live stream today. We'll say goodbye to you now. We're going to share communion together. Have an awesome week. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.